This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Bit of Culture with myself, Cam Ruslan, and our uh, two guests today are the returns of. He is, oh, Matt Armitage. I always, I just know you as Matt Armitage, the, the, the person I turn to for all things technology, but there's much more to you than just that. I do stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay, we, we clarified that. And she, but she is most definitely a singer. And she also does more than that. She is Bijou. Yay. Thanks for having me back. Wonderful to have you. And our three topics today are the return of live events post-COVID. And topic number two is missing going to the cinema. And finally, topic number three is Elon Musk and Twitter. So, uh, Bijou. uh, Yes. The return of live acts. Mm. Yes. I have, I call it like the return of events with a vengeance. Everything is happening so fast, so quick, so intense. And like we've got music, comedy, arts, theater, dance. And it seems like there's something, multiple things happening every night of the week for the past couple of months. And frankly, I can't keep up. And <laughs> but we're yeah. doing Clang Valley. Clang Valley. Clang um, Valley. Where yes. BFM is Clang Valley. That that. So you know, the mainly Clang Valley. But you know, we've recently had some big festivals like Dapao Fest, which was done in Lengong Valley in Perak. Wow! Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And which is a great got... place, by the way. Mm. And I just returned from uh, what about Kuching? which was a month-long festival that was happening in Kuching with like hundreds of events over the month. Uh, so it's not just concentrated in the Klang Valley, no. But majority, yes. But, uh, you know, um, Matt knows about these kind of events uh, as well. I, me, not so much. Is this the same level of concentration as pre-COVID or, or, or in a quantum leap more? More, is it? And it's, by the way, for listeners at home, uh, Bija was nodding her head, which is not really I'm nodding radio. because you directed that question at Matt. So oh, right. I didn't want to. Oh, was that? No, no, that's you. Well, yeah. Matt, I mean, what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I because I'm still locked kind of away in my isolation in Putrajaya, I'm not as connected as I used to be. Um, I don't know if the, I don't really know if the volume is sort of uh, more or less, obviously, Bijou thinks uh, there are a lot more things going on. But, you know, it's it's very possible that there's been so much stacked up over the past couple of years. I mean, that's kind of part of what I'll be talking about in uh, in my bit in a, a little while as well. Uh, there's, there's, you know, people have had projects they've wanted to do. Everyone's mm. been in a hurry to get back on stage, to start singing again, to start gigging again. And of course, we know that there are only kind of limited venues in KL as well. And of course, you know, some of the venues were lost over the course of the pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly possible that there is this kind of immense outpouring of stuff simply because everyone's got all of this stuff stacked up and, you know, they're pushing all of the venues to put things on. So there are things happening every night. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about uh, us losing some venues during the pandemic. That That is absolutely true. But there have also been a mushrooming of somewhat new venues coming out as well. So it, it's it's really intense. And I'll just give you an example. I was talking to uh, Elvira Arul a couple of weeks ago, and she told me how difficult it is for her to hire a sound engineer because everyone, including the sound engineers, interns, are all booked up. <laughs> So I, I do see that happening when when I try to hire musicians or we're trying to schedule rehearsals or doing things like everyone seems to have a very full schedule. And as a arts, a creative arts worker myself, having not had stuff the past two years, it really feels like everyone's just so hungry to do their thing again. Can I ask can I ask about the the performers and the audience as well? Mm. So I was thinking that if at the beginning of COVID you were, say, 18 years old. And I know that for me at the age of 18, it was like, okay, I'm going out there. I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm going to experience the world. But then, of course, the world, you couldn't access it. Mm. Post, by the end of COVID, 18 at the beginning, you'd be, what, 21 by the end mm. of COVID. These are incredibly important years of going out. The audiences now that you're seeing, are we seeing uh, young people or the old people who are just like, oh, my God, finally I can go out? All ages, I would say. Yeah. All ages, yeah. If you look at even smaller events, or not say smaller, but different kind of events like flea markets or or those kind of things, they're happening too, you know. And I do see a, a growing appreciation of Malaysians for local uh things, local artisans, local filmmakers, local musicians, local artists, um, you know, uh and I love it. I think it's over long overdue. We and have, you're sure um, that the quality is different from before COVID? I am sure. I'm sure. It seems like the, the kind of art that is made these days carries a lot more weight and substance. And people tend to be slightly less frivolous, which is, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is debatable because I feel like, you know, art should be whatever it, it wants to be whimsical or not. Um, but yeah, it, people are more intentional, I would say. Yeah, about what Matt, they do. And Matt intentionally putting his hand up. Yeah, well, I just wanted to, to ask Bijou again a question about audience and performers, but a slightly mm. different one from Cam. Now, obviously, you're a performer yeah. yourself as well. So I, sort of two parts to the question. One, how has that experience been for you getting back on stage? But also, what's the kind of reaction that you're getting from the audiences? I mean, we, we talked about, you know, are the audiences the same audiences? Are they younger? Are they older or whatever? But mm. what, what's been the kind of energy level and the feedback that you've been getting from the audiences since you've gone back to performance? Yeah. So to answer the first part of your question, like I was dying to get back on stage, like no matter how good I sound on a recording or, you know, how many YouTube videos you watch, there's nothing that can replicate the magic of being on stage and being connected with the audience. So it, it, it was an emotional experience being back on stage again, to be able to, to do that. And as for the second question, um, I think for some strange reason, the pandemic was really good for my career. Oh, <laughs> go on. Mm. I, I feel like, like the kind of music that I make and the kind of art that I produce has always been more heartfelt and, and less um, commercialized or, or trend-based, you know, it's always been, been like what I want to put out regardless of how popular it gets or not. 
And I think when the pandemic hit, it feels like the world went through a reset, right? People had to sort of reflect inwards and, and relook at their priorities. And suddenly it felt like whatever I was making, people were ready for it in a way. They were seeking for something real and authentic. And not and- frivolous. Yes, but again, no judgment. <laughs> I, I think like, you know, it's, there's a place and time to be frivolous as well. Um, but yeah, I saw that in how the audiences have now started to connect with my music and how how they're open to receiving it. So that's what I've been experiencing personally. Wow. I, 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 I must admit, I'm not really into uh, live venues and stuff myself, <laughs> actually. Matt, are you? Are you? Uh, I am yes, but I'm I'm quite specific about the kind of um, live venues I go to, especially for for music. I like uh, smaller clubs. I like it to be more intimate. I don't like you know venues that are bigger than say about two thousand um, packs. I don't like stadium style mm. experiences because it becomes more you know it's much more kind of football stadium uh, style. Um, experience than it is kind of music i like that idea of you know the the sweat dripping off the ceiling and you know the the kind of the grimy and grunginess and also there's just there's a different there's a different feeling about the music as well the music connects Mm. with you in a different way i mean um i think there were a a few bands that that came here the names always escape me because i'm rubbish at, at names but they were playing at places like the b um which obviously is only you know three to five hundred capacity that is but essentially a restaurant other, as well yeah and in other countries they were playing two three five thousand um seat auditoria so mm. watching them in malaysia was actually an incredible experience because no one you know you don't get to see that kind of small scale gig from from those bands yeah mm. i i don't know i uh i saw prince twice uh in Wembley Arena, which is pretty big, and that was amazing. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay, Bijou, I are you keep me posted then on WhatsApp and tell me where. I <laughs> yes, right. I'll rope you in my next show. But I am next. still genuinely still nervous uh, vis-a-vis uh, COVID, etc. So I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which might be a thing that comes up in topic number two. Which is uh, Matt missing going to the cinema? Yeah. So essentially, the the last couple of weeks, I've been doing some work for a company that is, you know, movie adjacent, so cinema adjacent. So I've had to sort of think about the movie experience a bit more, but not just you know the in terms of the seats, the ticket, the sound, the screen, you know, the the popcorn, all of those kind of physical components. Uh, but I've been thinking about that kind of emotional and sort of pan-generational experience of going to the cinema. Um, and it's made me remember things, you know, like my parents telling me about their experience of watching movies when they were growing up, or for example, when an, an old movie would pop up on the TV, something that they'd seen in the cinema, and they don't just tell you about the film. They tell you about the day that they had, the the people they were with, where they went, what they did. Um, mm. You know, and a lot of us have these movies that are special to us. And it's not necessarily the movie. The movie might only have been run of the mill, but there's just something about the experience of that day that you remember. Uh, I mean, I remember going to see 
uh, Desperately Seeking Susan, the um, the movie Madonna. that had Madonna in it, which is a really bad movie. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's not a good movie in any way. But I, I mean, I think I was, I think I was about 13 or yeah, 13, 12 or 13. And it was a 15 movie. We were all too young to be going to see it. And I can remember standing, waiting for the train in the drizzle. I remember the, the two-tone gray Nike wind cheater that I was wearing. And that was, you know, kind of the, the closest that rural Norfolk came to New York street style. Um, and, you know, but I remember everything about that day, even though that the, the movie itself was quite forgettable. And it's interesting because cinema is a, an experience that people pay forwards. They take their own kids to see films. They create their own shared experiences. And even though we have, you know, our big screen TVs, we have surround sound audio, um, people still go to the movies, which makes it extremely strange for me to say that I miss going to the movies. Yeah, but why, why um, aren't you going to the movies? Well, th this, this is the point. Um, I'm, I'm something of an outlier. Um, I tend to go to the cinema on my own. I like it when the movie theater isn't crowded. I'll often go and watch the 10, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. showing. Which is the um, best, by the way. The best, which is the best, yeah. And I'll just be sitting there pretty much um, on my own. And it's always been this really valuable escape for me. You know, some people stress eat and I stress cinema. Um, <laughs> so the, the, those first sort of few months or that first year of the pandemic was hard because all of the cinemas were closed. And then when they finally reopened, there was this stack of great movies waiting to be released. That's why I said there's kind of a parallel with what you were saying, Bijou. It's like mm. people had sat on all of these projects for two years and it's like they've germinated and they're ready to come out into the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, last year um, was a great year. It was one of the first times for many years that I didn't actually see all the movies that I wanted to at the theatre just because there wasn't enough time. But this year has been kind of the opposite. You know, I've hardly been to the cinema to see anything. Um, we've had big budget flicks like Thor and Lightyear. Obviously, they've been banned in Malaysia. And even though I check the listings every week, week in, week out, there's nothing that I can find to watch. Um, admittedly, you know, there's been a lot of really good non-English language content in the theatres this year. But um, as I've mentioned on the show many times before, I have a problem with subtitles, so I tend not to go and see foreign language movies. But it has been a bad year for English language movies, especially if you like no-brain action movies like, uh, like I do. Um, and it seemed like Top Gun was the only film showing mm -hmm. For like months, every time you looked at the cinema, it's like Top Gun, Top Gun, Top Gun. Um, and then from then, you know, we get things like DC's Black Adam, which is, you know, by all the reviews, frankly, pretty substandard. Well, so, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I guess I wanted to know whether you guys still go to the, the cinema and mm. what that experience means for you, because it's something that I really miss. Well, yeah, to, 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 to be fair, though, it's been a bad year at the cinema since about 1973, really. I know, but that's why I'm addressing it to Bijou and not you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, you, you have been addressed. I, I, I'm like you, Matt. I go to the movies by myself. Like, yeah. 
you know, I, I do that a lot. And it's interesting that you were talking about how because you you have the subtitle thing, so you don't watch like non-English stuff. Mm-hmm. And this year, most of the time I've showed up for Malaysian made movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find myself going to the cinema to support Malaysian made movies. I remember watching Diga Janda. I watched uh, Air Force the movies, like Ibunawa. Mm-hmm. I've watched um was it spilt gravy? Oh no, I caught that one at Bobo. Sorry. I tried to watch that one, but the screenings were limited. But yeah, I, I've just been turning up mostly for Malaysian made movies. And, and, and you you've been happy with them or you're just Yes, of- yes, uh, in varying degrees, you know. Um, mm-hmm. like I felt like Diga Janda was incredibly refreshing. Um, it's available now on Netflix if you if you've missed it. Um and I just feel like, you know. We we deserve we deserve the platform we deserve the 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 mainstream success like mm. if we want to progress as a nation right like if you don't take care of your arts and your culture which is the soul of your nation what are we doing? Well, you're you're, you're talking to the converted here. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, you know, Matt, I haven't been to cinema in years. I I honestly can't remember the last movie I, I went to see. Um. I find that really strange no, I, because I know I, that you, I know that you love film. I do, I do, I do. Um, but I also love kind of just like lounging around at home. But <laughs> you know, I have to say that when you were talking just now and describing your movie going experiences, that is the most sort of romantic and uncynical I think I've ever heard you be, uh, Matt. And um, and and yes, you you conjure up memories for me. I mean, I remember you know queuing up to go watch Greece twice, queued up mm, and yeah. being turned away on the first time because like. Everybody wanted to go and see Greece, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, many happy movie-going experiences, and also, yes, I guess my mother perhaps passing down stories. I'm not really sure, mm. but um, the 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 Marvel DC Marvelization of the movie sphere. I mean, Bijou was talking about going to see these, you know, got mm. the budget difference. I mean, uh, Chris Evans's um, uh, snack. Uh, budget would be bigger <laughs> than all those Malaysian movies that she's just described. Mm. Um, yeah, the Marvelization has it's mm, it, it sucked the fun out of movies. There's that Marvel zone, and then there's this big gap, and then there's just a lot of everything else in terms of the selection, the, not the selection, but the commitment by the studios mm. um, to to make. Movies that kind of appeal to a particular zone of your brain, where you know it could be fun, it can be exciting. And it's like, no, that, well, that's a Marvel movie. We'll throw it all into there, and and we'll hire um, Chris Evans to. Chris Evans is the perfect kind of movie star of these days, um, as opposed to an Al Pacino, who's going to be more demanding to kind of the brain bit. Anyway, but I don't know. I, I've I've kind of. Like you, Matt, I, I would look at the schedules and I said, nothing. No, I don't want to see any of that. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's not that there haven't been films out this year, but I think I think part of it is actually precisely for the, the reason that, that Bijou mentioned. There has been this explosion of Malaysian movies this year and uh, other movies from across the region. And I think that's probably crowded out 
a lot of the kind of second tier English language movies yeah. uh, that typically would be be shown, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm just feeling sorry for myself and saying I miss the movies because those movies that I would typically go to aren't being shown because there is this influx of, They're of, not being made. of content. Uh, no, they are being made. I mean, th- this hasn't been a bad year for movies. I mean, there's certainly been uh, quite a good, a uh, few good sort of thrillers and and horror movies um, <clears throat> that uh, that I've still got stacked up in my my list to to watch. I mean, it's not it's not been a bad year for um, the kind of more kind of indie releases, but I think in terms of the, the big kind of Hollywood level movies, there hasn't been a lot coming out this year, whether that's mm. to do with uh, the fact that COVID disrupted the schedule so much that um, there were all the movies that were nearly completed at the start of the pandemic that we got last year. But there's that two-year gap where movies just weren't being made. But so, television, you know, television, though, has has taken that energy. and Streaming, basically. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, you know, TV is good. It is. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Stranger Things, very good. Uh, I... I, Matt, I'm sorry that you you know you you do have this eyesight issue and the subtitles, but Korean stuff, not TV, uh, not oh, TV drama, TV dramas, yeah. are trash. But the movies, wow. I mean, oh no, it, I mean, I I do. I mean, I can I can watch a bit more at home because you know if if I'm watching the subtitle and missing what's on the screen, I can rewind it and replay it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have more flexibility at at home. But obviously, at the cinema, it's you know blink and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So it's not such a a great a great experience. Um, but um, even something like Squid Games, which I I watched in uh, uh horror of horrors the dubbed version was still fantastic mm. you know mm. yeah yeah I, I, i'm a sucker for like kingdom the zombie one. Oh, that's that's awesome as well oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're high concept stuff that are mix mm. mix oh let's let's do like you know historic stuff and zombies and then we're just like yeah, yeah. incredible <laughs> art direction and oh the whole art direction just, yeah ooh. that's amazing anyway that's a whole other thing is, is <laughs> Gushing about Korean movies and, and stuff. Well, we must move on. But um, uh, Bijou, I am so pleased for you that the the live performance sphere is back. Mm. And thank you, Matt. Uh, I I hope that the cinema going th- two things I don't do and I really should do. <laughs> so so you both have to keep me. Yes, do these things. We'll Get combine of- forces and drag you out of the house. Exactly. Yeah. Get yeah. out of the house and start dancing. Oh. Uh- no way. And, and, and Matt, don't give me that. You don't dance either. So, of course not, but I can make myself sound good. <laughs> so, uh, but in a moment, um, one of the things I do do, which is to look at Twitter till all hours and um, think about Elon Musk when we come back here on A Bit of Culture on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Matt Armitage and Bijou, Fu Bijou. And uh, now topic number three, which is Elon Musk. And Twitter. Now, um, Bijou, I know you're on Twitter. Matt, are you on Twitter, Matt? I have a Twitter handle. Um, I don't use it very much. Right. Well, I I have a Twitter handle too. I say very little on X. I've got nothing to say. But I, I, I read my Twitter feed every day and it has become my kind of like source of news and I will follow news. Same. Yeah. My only source of news. Yeah, me, me too, pretty much. And um, 
Uh, Matt's shaking his head at us. <laughs> no, no, I was just thinking I've uh, I've got some horse medicine I can send you if uh, uh, if you've been reading too much Twitter. Uh, it'll cure anything you like. Oh, well, Matt, you know, anyway. But, but I'm being uh, cynical again. Yeah, but Elon Musk, uh, the, the man that uh, some newspapers like to call the richest man in the world, if he's the richest man in the world, then I'd say I must be like the second richest man in the world. <laughs> If 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 richness is measured by the amount of debt you have, then sure. But um, so he bought Twitter for like what forty four billion US dollars. Yeah. And um, he, oh, by the way, if you don't know who Elon Musk is, he makes electric cars, which is apparently amazing. Yeah, and F- founded PayPal. Uh, PayPal, yes. I mean, lots of people have founded many things, but uh, PayPal <clears throat> is one thing that got founded, and it got founded by a man called Elon Musk. Um, so anyway, he's bought it, and and I would say that uh, already in what about a week is it, Bijou? Uh, mm. I I have I have because I, I I follow it for local news, but also for international news, especially since the Ukrainian war. Um, it's a palpable change in the air. I can't really say exactly what it is, <clears throat> but certainly Musk keeps keeps turning up. Now, Matt, I've been wanting to to to, to bring up the subject of Elon Musk with you because you know these things better than i do um elon musk con man or i don't know con man no i don't think he's a i don't think he's a con man um but i do think he is a a troll uh i think he's um probably um quite a a strange individual um and he has some fairly odd ideas uh and people kind of confuse his success in some spheres with uh, the odd ideas that he has about other things and assume that everything that comes out of his mouth is just, you know, pure unalloyed genius, Uh, which is probably not the the case because nobody can be a genius all of the time. You know, we all have off days. Um, But he does seem to delight in attention and controversy you know you can see that Mm. some of the statements are deliberately phrased to provoke a response and having that level of um, i mean even before buying twitter having that level of uh, followers i think 100 million or 100 million plus gives you um enormous power you know beyond beyond what you have as uh, you know the billions you have in the bank or the companies that you run mm. just that audience and access to that audience gives you an awful lot of power to influence things or to put ideas uh into sort of more suggestible people's heads mm. that are maybe not actually grounded in fact mm. well th- that that um leads me on to the thing which is how come Elon Musk does have all these devotees who worship him so much. Um, Many people have devotees and are worshipped. Um, Sportsmen and, I know, Donald Trump, et cetera. But Bijou, um, Twitter's important to you. Oh, yeah. And and you're concerned or not concerned about the future? Oh, oh, for sure concerned because, like, I mean, since Elon Musk took over, there's been, he's been laying off, like, entire teams that work in Twitter. And a lot of these teams are responsible for things like moderating hate speech, uh, creating uh, more accessible spaces for uh, disabled people or things like that. And 
now uh, you see so many accounts openly uh, tweeting things like the N-word or yeah. talking about Nazis. And then when the teams that are responsible for moderating these things are fired, you're basically allowing this space to be completely unhinged and unregulated. And as we all know, the internet is a dangerous place and nothing can be unregulated if you want it to remain like a, a space where people are able uh, able to participate in responsibly. Also, it's, it's a global pl platform. It is. I think Musk keeps sort of talking about it as if it's purely an American thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, the importance of um, Twitter in the Myanmar uh, situation is mm -hmm. <laughs> Twitter's played a big role there for good and for yeah. And if if you look closer to home, last year when the floods happened, I volunteered, and a lot of the mobilization happened because of the information on Twitter. Mm. You know, mm. everything was happening on Twitter, like like we were saving lives because of Twitter. Yeah, and and Matt he he refers to it often as being you know uh, people can say things within the law. And whose law? Well, yeah, I mean, this is one of the, the big issues. I mean, one of the things that he said last week was um, this was just before he laid off 50% um, of the workforce, I think, last Friday, uh, a Friday or two ago. And uh, he said that uh, essentially activists had leaned on advertisers mm -hmm. and advertisers had pulled out of the, the platform. Um, and he said, you know, this was a colossal threat to freedom of speech. Mm. And of course, it isn't because Twitter is a privately owned commercial platform. Elon Musk does not have a right to their advertising dollars. Advertisers will put their money where it benefits their brand. They will not put it next to posts that say the N-word or talk about Nazis or degenerate into anti-Semitism of of course they won't. Um, but that's also them exercising their own freedom of speech not to use his platform. So his notions of what constitutes free speech are a little, are, are very kind of narrow um, and they kind of relate more to what, uh, more to his vision of how he sees the world. And anyone who's a threat to that is a threat, therefore, to freedom of speech. Uh, whereas I think one of the things that he did earlier this week was to permanently ban anybody who changed the name of their account to Elon Musk. So, yeah, a lot of verified unless, parody. Without yeah, saying parody. Unless, Without yeah, saying parody, yeah. Parody, yeah. Because um, uh, high-profile name tick users like Sarah Silverman, people like that, had changed their name to Elon Musk. And he's unilaterally announced that they will be banned. Now, that doesn't exist in any of Twitter's current terms and conditions. Yes, you can be uh, put on a temporary suspension, but again, he's just limited their freedom of speech because he didn't like it. He didn't like it. They're making fun of him. And he's just sort of making it up as he goes along. He spent an enormous amount of money to buy something and they're not really have a plan. Well, um, he, he wanted to back out of buying it, right? And then he was forced to essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh, there, there, I think there are reports that the, the banks that, um, that underwrote the debt uh, stand to lose about $500 million because of the difference in the market conditions between March 
and September. So they're not going to be happy that the deal went ahead. They're not going to be happy that advertisers are leaving the platform because don't forget, a lot of the money that has bought Twitter isn't Elon Musk's money. It's backed by his Tesla shares, which have also taken a massive hit this year as the the markets have gone down. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens because potentially it could knock a huge chunk off his off his net worth it feels like we're watching someone self-destruct in by the minute in the public eye i mean i i there, there is an element of that but i don't think we should necessarily write twitter off that quickly uh mm. he does have a track record of you know pulling rabbits out of the the hat because don't forget he he didn't found tesla tesla was an electric car maker that he bought um and has you know transformed it was struggling at the time uh spacex there was no real um if you go back to sort of 2002 or 2004, whenever SpaceX was founded, you wouldn't think that there was any real kind of option for commercial space travel. But now look mm. at the the company. They do uh, a lot of the heavy lifting, literally the heavy lifting for NASA. You know, they, they are um, commercially viable. Mm. So, uh, Bijou, uh, what would tempt you to drop Twitter? Would you and where would you go? And I, I don't want to drop Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. I, I I am hoping it survives this, you know, Musk period. And and yeah, I I I haven't even gone so far to think of an alternative yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't want to drop Twitter. Yeah, I don't. I'd be the same. And Matt, but, you're just sort of like just reclining and laughing at us all, aren't you? Not not really. I mean I, I just I I I don't like Twitter. I don't like the um the kind of antagonistic and angry side of Twitter. Uh, this year I have looked a little bit at some of the kind of decentralized alternatives to Twitter, so platforms like Mastodon. Uh, they're not direct replacements because they tend to be kind of more community-based. You you sign up uh, to uh, a kind of version of Twitter that is you know specifically about technology or specifically about crypto um mastodon is very much um uh is very kind of um lgbtq friendly disability friendly it has very strict moderation policies uh Mm. for for hate speech so it is a a sort of friendlier place to be but it's also a much quieter place to be because there isn't as much activity yeah i don't want that i don't i've been hearing mastodon floating around this yeah. past week or so, but haven't really checked it out. Yeah, no, I kind of I, I, I like observing the chaos of um, Twitter. I, I don't yeah. feel need to join in. If someone's using the N word a lot, I'll look and see who they are and you know, piece the world together. But I don't need to join in. Yeah. Oh well, we must move on. Bijou, you and me, we'll 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 just find out what happens. Um, mm. <laughs> and uh, but now we we go to the last part of the show recommendations where we recommend something that we think might be of interest and Bijou goes first. Okay, um, there is a concert by one of the most underrated uh, performers in my opinion in Malaysia. Her name is Anna Chong, and she's going to be performing in like a trio format, and it's happening on November fifteen at uh, PJ Pack. Okay, what kind of uh, genre are we talking about? Um, she writes in Mandarin and English. And one of the things that I love about her is she has songs where she's made up her own language because she said 
the 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 languages that exist currently cannot fully express like uh the the musicality and the emotion of the song. So she has a couple of songs like that, and she's a riveting performer, very underrated and very quiet. But uh, I just hope more people will go check her out. Anna Chong, official on Instagram, and uh, November fifteenth at PJ Pack. Uh, Bijou, I feel like you should be a our guide through the performing arts world. <laughs> I'll pop in now and then and yeah, hit you, you with recommendations. Yeah, you you know who people are and stuff because it's it's very uh, it's all over the place. You don't know who's who and what's what. Yeah. Um, and Matt, you were nodding your head throughout. No, I, I was, especially uh, the the point about making up her own language. I remember a comment from um, Robert Smith of The Cure. This is something he uh, he said probably decades ago, um, showing both his age and my age. But he said that um, very often when he was performing in um, countries like Japan, mm. where the audience didn't really know English all that well. He wouldn't bother with the words so much. He'd just kind of improvise and make up sounds and noises uh, along with the, the songs because it wasn't so important for the audience and it gave him a bit more freedom to express something different mm. in songs that he plays the same way every night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Cure, eh? Never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, get with the times. Matt, you know, Taylor Swift, that's where we're at here on Bit of Culture. Uh, okay, so um, next recommendation, Matt Armitage. Yeah, well, I'm recommending uh, Scrubs, the early 2000s oh, uh, medical sitcom. Um, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm watching it on Disney. I'm sure it's on other platforms as well. And it was one of my favorite shows first time around. And, you know, very often when you watch things again, they often don't stack up to that mm. memory mm. you you have of them. Friends, what, that's friends for me. Really? Yeah, e really? exactly. Friends doesn't... It's no. cringe for me now. Sorry. Really? Don't hate me, people, but it's cringe. Mm. Sorry, Matt, didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no, please. That's, that's, that's fine. But um, watching Scrubs, I found myself laughing out loud. Uh, even though often I'm on my own, even though I know what joke is coming because I can, you know, dimly uh, remember it. And, you know, it's not perfect. You can see how time has marched on. Um, it's, you know, only kind of 15 to 20 years old, but you can, you know, it's really marked how casually sexist it is. And it's not exactly homophobic, but um, it's certainly pretty insensitive at times. Mm -hmm. um, but the writing still holds up um the evil janitor character still complete genius um and now that i'm watching it all in one go like binging it rather than watching one season per year which is how we had to watch them back then it really shows you how well the writers nailed the character development and actually mm. started pushing the characters beyond their stereotypes and they become much more nuanced personalities as the, the seasons go on. How, how many so seasons yeah, it's a, a joy. I think there's something ridiculous, like between eight and 11. I can't, right. can't mm. remember. It's, it's lots. Um, that's what I've been doing when I haven't been watching movies. Yeah, good. I, just by sheer coincidence, I have been rewatching Frasier from, from oh, episode one. I've been meaning wow. to do that. Yeah. And it, it's it's fantastic, and also Arrested Development. I kind of switch between the two. If if you really want to go further back, try Northern Exposure. 
Wow, if you uh, ever watched that the first you were way, born, that yeah, one. I imagine I, it I'm probably was. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> no, but that, yeah. but that's. I mean, that must be over thirty years old, probably closer. Yeah, thirty odd years old, and it's still lovely, and it's so nicely paced, and because it's based in a rural, um, uh, a rural community, the march of time hasn't really mattered. Yeah. You, you know, the things they face are just stuff. And if you really want to go back, check out I Love Lucy from the 1950s. Ooh. Yeah, we've Lucille got one Ball. division for that. <laughs> <laughs> Lucille Ball and I Love Lucy is still damn funny. Yeah, so it funny. is. Um, okay, so that's uh, specifically Scrubs or just like just going back in time and checking? Uh, well, specifically Scrubs because that's uh, what I'm spending all my non-working waking hours <laughs> doing. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm doing the same. Okay, so, um, well, my recommendation, actually I had one thing, but then I dropped that because I was inspired by one word that Bijou said, one thing, mm. uh, Lingong Valley. Mm. Um, I think I may have recommended this before, but I recommend you go to Lingong Valley. It's um, it's a really remarkable place. Mm. And um, it's the home of Perak Man. Mm. And yeah. um, you'll find out who he, Google him, you'll find out who he was. And uh, it's, uh, it's a strange, really primeval, ancient place. It's an ancient place. And mm. it's, it's off the beaten track. And so it's kind of remained as it is for so long without development and no one really, it doesn't need to be developed. There's nothing really there. Mm. Uh, and you can, you can see the scars of an ancient landscape uh, and you can imagine an ancient landscape. It's a, it's a really wonderful place. It's what, uh, a couple of hours drive out of Kuala Kungsa up in uh, Perak. And um, yeah, one of the most magical trips I made was to go mm. there. And I, I it, it, it's, um, it's really beautiful. So is, it, really. is it a new a UNESCO site? Yeah, 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 yeah it is actually. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if the whole valley per se, or if it's the specific cave. archaeological site. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but um, it might be the valley. I mean, I, I, I would, I would give. So you know, once upon a time there's a valley and it got blocked uh, by a, a rock fall, and then a huge lake was created and people lived around that lake and then <clears throat> eons later that dam broke and the water disappeared and that is the landscape that we see today mm. oh, fantastic um, <clears throat> so when it was a lake there. it was yeah. just full of teeming with fish life and life of animals that would come down to drink there and so humans mm. would, uh, would, would live there so um anyway so lengong valley well that brings us to the end of um this week's show and i'd like to thank our two wonderful guests fu bijou <laughs> and Bijou, do you have any uh, gigs yourself or anything that, uh, or, or, or uh, not gigs per se? But if you tune into the November twentieth episode of Gaga Varganza, you might see me perform. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. A day after the vote, woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that show apparently, uh, uh, Bijou mentioned, was about 11 million people viewers? Oh, no. Um, the most recent episode had about 6 million views Six. on YouTube. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a drop in the ocean compared to the bit of culture. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, bless them. But, uh, okay. And uh, Matt Armitage, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you get 
to see that movie that you want. Isn't there a new uh, Tom Cruise movie coming out or something? I think there's Mission Impossible, but I think there's that's next year. I think the next one is Avatar 2, isn't it? I think that's oh, out yeah, before yeah, the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, 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 I'm not going to yeah. bother with that. Oh, God, James Cameron. <laughs> um, so, and on that happy note, uh, we come. thank you so much. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the VFM app.